0: TheYeshiva.net. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to continue the mimer. I want to wish a big mazal tov to the Beziriel Engel on the britis of his grandson yesterday, Yosef Chaim. B'shatoivu Matslachas, wishing him and his wife and the whole mishpacha a lot of nachas, ha nefesh and guf. And Simcheva Tuvlevov and Atloha, to him and to his daughter, son-in-law and the new baby and the whole mishpacha, and to all of us,. And welcome to everybody else who's here with us. Thank you for joining us. So we began learning the Maimer of AlHanis and and Tovshin We're up to If Dalad, the fourth paragraph, the fourth section. If you haven't downloaded the source sheets and you want to follow inside, please go to theyeshiva.net. And you'll see today's Shir, Hasid is Thursday. And on top of it, I used to speak about the blue icon and the red icon, but those are gone. On top of it is a green icon it says download. And over there you can download the source sheets. Or on the right side of the screen, I think it says source sheets, and you can just open them up in lieu of the video. The summation of yesterday's she'er in a few sentences, mamish, a few sentences, was that the Medrash tells us that the Greeks... Commanded the Jewish people and they said, We want you to write on the horn of an ox that you have no part in the God of Israel. Why the horn of an ox? I'm saying the corn. The horn of an ox. Why the horn of an ox? You can write it on other things. So it explained that generally every person's soul originates above. Everything, everything that has a soul originates what's called from the Merkava, the chariot. Mm-hmm. but the chariot is divine the chariot is divine so how can it be that somebody is disconnected so he says that those who receive energy from Pnei Sher from the face of the ox the Yuvanim, they wanted the horn of the ox the Keren HaSher because the horn represents that which is external to the ox itself it's not part of the, the meat the substance, the essence as we see it reflected in the halachas of Tumas Eichlin of impurity of food, as discussed in yesterday's she, So this is a metaphor that they wanted from the, they wanted the Jewish people to say, hashar. your relationship should be with the horn of the ox. In other words, you should receive your energy from the karnaim, from the tlafayim, from the horns and the hooves, from the external energy, not from the pinimius, not from the intimate, not from the core of of Man de mitoiche a is the essence of Ain Saif. Don't they did they, they 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 were perturbed by that relationship. It made them feel empty. The contrast made them feel empty. There's a sense of of jealousy and of a void that existed. We once spoke about Haman having the ditch, the ditch in his home that made him crazy, and he wanted to fill that ditch. It represents the void. In his heart, that came from the Jew, the Gemara Megillah, you about the ditch of 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 Haman, the ditch in the mound. The Yavanim don't want to see the Jew. The Jew some reminds them of a deeper reality in life, of a deeper relationship. It's like somebody who has a very difficult marriage, and they see a beautiful marriage. It drives them, makes them jealous. And because it makes me jealous, it's so I could either elevate myself. Or I could put you down and make fun of you. A lot of times when people make fun of other people, why are they making fun of them? Why are they dismissing them? Why are they mocking them? Because the person triggers something something in me that's that that bothers me. I'm discontent. If I knock you down, I, okay, so it's nothing, so I don't have anything to look up to. You understand what I'm saying? When there's something to look up to, then there's aspirations, then maybe I should I could become better. But if you're a this and you're a that and you're fake and you're a hypocrite, okay, wonderful. There's people that they they're they're, they're they're obsessed in putting down other people because it makes them feel better. <laughs> if everybody, if everybody is, uh, is, is, you know, is a fool, so <laughs> I may even be a <laughs> But uh, so the Yevonim are bothered; they, they feel the pniyus of the relationship. <laughs> a Jew doesn't just doesn't. Uh, what's the expression? Don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The Jew doesn't only ask what God can do for me. He also asks what I can do for God. He doesn't only ask how teideh mitzvah supports my ego. He also has the courage to transcend his ego and touch infinity. So they say, Why don't you have a relationship with the horn of the ax? Again, The left side is the Sher. That's the source of all the Nefesh and all the animal souls comes from the Pnei Sher. But the Pnei Sher and the smell, which is Gvura, is divine. It's not, it's divine. But what their Meqabal is from the Keren HaSher, from the horn of the ox, from the Chitseinius, from the Pseulis, from the leftover, that which grows out of the ox. not even the ox itself, which is a metaphor of tuning in only to the externals of reality. I'm not in touch with my own core, I'm not in touch with the core of the universe, I'm not in touch with the core of... Existence. I'm not in touch with the core of the other person. And we said that's why they love to live in the world of logic, because over there you can control everything, everything is structured, everything has a place. But the core is not Seichel, the core is Ratzon. This was the main point. Therefore, the Yuvanim said that even the Chukim should be Al-Pi seichel. Even Chukim you have to obey only because of Seichel. So what did the Jews say? The Jews said even Mishpatim should be like Chukim. The Yivanim went to one extreme and said, even hukum should be like Mishpatim. So the Jews said, even Mishpatim should be done with the Kabbalah cell and the Mesiris Nefesh of Chukm. Sivdalot. im This whole concept, we can also connect in a deeper way with the horn, with the concept of the horn. Shabazenichlalim karnayim utlofayim biyachad yeshnegamin yina keren komershulim hulamali yusuf ainu apnimi is the keren. We spoke before kisvulachem al keren asher that the horn represents that which is external to the animal. It's the psailus. Psailus means you can cut off, you can cut it off, and there's no blood, at least part of the horn, like the 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 Chazal tell us in Chulin and the Mefarshim daf kufi u'dzayin. You can cut it off and there's no blood. Why? It's like when you cut off hair or you cut off a nail, right? It's like the extras. There's no, there's no nerves in it. It's not, uh, it's not painful. And therefore there's no blood. So it's considered more external, more of the psilos. And that includes horns and that includes hooves as well. At least a part of the hooves. And it's expressed in the halachas of Tumah. So that's one akud. So they want it on the keren asher. Ein you don't have a chalik, You're not chilek HaShem Amo, As discussed in the previous Shia. But there's something else about horns. There's the horn in the most positive sense. Vaheinu apnimi is the canon. And this is the internal aspect of the horn. Kemavur t'ayda. It's explained in Eira t'ayda of the Tzamech Tzedek. And there's Maymer HaMam HaNchanika. B'fidush Maymer Azal explaining what the Gemara says. In Mesecht Megillah. And is, it's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says in Megillah, we learned it, I think, in one of the Shira, that Chana, after she gives birth, she mothers her son Shmuel, who later becomes a prophet. She says in her Shira, Shira is the song of Chana, in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph, she says, Olatz Libi my heart rejoices and dances with God. And then she uses the expression, Rama Karni. My karen, my horn, is exalted, it's uplifted. And the Gemara uses this pasuk as a proof that Chana was a prophet, a prophetess. One of the great female prophets of Jewish history, which the Gemara lists in Megillah, Daf Yudaled, the Megillah, close to the end of the first chapter, Closer to the end of the first chapter. You remember, Chana was one of those prophets. What's the connection to our words carnage? Ramachan? This was a prophecy of Chana. If you go through the Tanakh, you'll see that there were kings who were anointed with a keren, with a horn. There were other kings who were anointed with a jug of oil. Generally, you would anoint a king with Shemen, with Shemen amishcha, The anointing oil that was made by Moshe Rabbeinu back in the desert was used to place on the head, on the face, the forehead of the king, and this represented that he was anointed. Mashuach. But there were different ways to do it. David and Shlema, the Tanakh shows, the Tanakh says, they were anointed by with a horn. Shmuel Hanavi came to David. Hashem said, go take your horn. Take Karen, take a horn. I mentioned, I think yesterday, that horns were used, even not so long ago, as bottles. They were used as containers. They were actually hollow, or hollowed out, and they were used just to to... To put things there. And one of the things they could put in the horn was an oil. And they kept the oil in the horn. And they anointed the Melachim, these kings David and Shlomo, with a horn. Says the Gemara, David and Shlomo were anointed with a karen. And their royalty continued for generations. David remained a king till he died. And then he was succeeded by his son Shlomo, And it continues. And it continued in Malchus based David. Shaul Melach was also anointed by Shmuel Anavi, Chana's son. But he was anointed with a pach. It says, Shmuel took a jug of oil, pach shel shemen, and he anointed him with a jug. An earthenware pach, an earthenware jug. He says, Shaul was anointed that way, Yehu was anointed that way, Their malchus did not continue. And that's what Hana meant when she said, when Shmuel was born, Rama karni. The karen is exalted, the horn is exalted. This was an intimation, a prophecy, that those kings who will be anointed with a horn, their malchus would enjoy continuity and longevity. Indeed, Shaul HaMelech was dethroned, as was Yehu. David and Shloymeh, their malchus continued, not only for their life, but also generational. What's the connection between a Karen and a pach? What's the connection? On a most basic level, the Mepharshim say, a jug is easily breakable. It's an earthenware vessel, which means it's made of earth, mixed with water and straw, and then it's baked in an oven in a furnace, or in the sun. Some cultures baked it in the sun. But if it falls, it disintegrates, it shatters, it breaks. It's an earthenware vessel. In fact, we know that in Tumah, if an earthenware vessel becomes tummy, you can't put it in the mikveh. It's too porous. What you have to do is, you have to break it, and then the Tumah dissolves because it's shattered, and then you can put the pieces together. If you want to put the pieces together, it's a pretty cheap vessel. But there's some labor involved, for those of you who know about earthenware, pottery. But a karen, a horn, is powerful. It's a powerful substance. So this is the representation. If they're anointed with a horn, the malchus is going to be stable. If they're anointed with a jug, the malchus is easily, the aristocracy, the monarchy, can easily be destroyed and obliterated and shattered. There's another interpretation some commentators say. A karen represents continuity. The horn represents how something continues in length. The malchus continues. A pach doesn't have that symbol. That's another explanation. And Hannah alluded to this when she said, "Rama from this the Gemara proves she was a prophet. She knew that her son Shmuel is going to annoy two different kings: David and Sho, first Shaul, then David. One with a jug, one with a karen, and the consequences will be very different." Now, at some level, it seems like a technical. Well, what's the difference? I mean, because the oil comes from a jug or the oil comes from a horn. What's the difference? <laughs> What's the difference if you're drinking Kool-Aid from a horn or you're drinking Kool-Aid from a cup? It's the same oil. You put it in a horn, you put it in a jug. So something, it's just symbolic. You use a jug, you use a horn. But there seems to be a depth there. And this is the proof that Kana was a prophet. That means this is a, it's a big statement. So the tzemach tzadek in Eret HaTedah has an explanation. The explanation is... The horn is outside of the head. It's not part of the head. It's outside of the head. But it's above the head. The horn, horns adorn an animal. And sometimes, you know, it's really, uh, what's, what's, what he's going to discuss here resonates. Sometimes go we'll out to the porch and we see the, the male gazelles or the male deers with, uh, with big, elaborate, beautiful horns. They're above the head. And it gives them a psazir, you know what I mean? You have a, huh? something special about it. Now, the point of those horns, from a, from a more pragmatic point of view, is sometimes it helps them in the jungle protect themselves against predators. They can go with the horn and you stay away. And another element is, some of them, it's part of the male's who combat for territory and for females, and they, you know, they, I don't know if you're familiar, but if you if you know these, if you ever watch these documentaries, they, they fight, the males fight with each other, and this is the weapons they use to establish dominance, authority, uh, power. I'm the boss, this is my territory, this is my tribe, and whoever wins remains, and the other one goes. So the horns, you know, represent different functions, fascinating functions within nature. <coughs> but he says, "What? What is the horn? The horn is above the head. It's outside of the head, but it's a It's like a crown above the head. It's like a kes. In what does the horn represent? It represents the ability to transcend my structured logic, and that is what mesiris nefesh represents represents something that grasps, that touches the essence of a person, which is beyond the head. This goes back to our discussion, both in yesterday's shiit, and in the first shiit on this mime, this past Monday and this past Wednesday, that even though seichel is a very blessed and exceptional tool of life that the Rebbeinah Shalolem gave us, every animal has seichel, but it has a limited degree, and the human being was blessed with this blessing of our cognitive and intellectual faculties that allow us to be the humans we're capable of being and allow us to fulfill our purpose in the world. Our brain's ability, even though an ant has a brain and a bee has a brain and every insect has a brain and every mammal has a brain, but there's something unique about the cognitive ability of a person which is called the kachas ha and it's a blessed instrument. Nonetheless, one should not make the mistake that that is the essence of life, and it's the essence of the neshama, and it's the core of everything. We discussed the Maharal, we discussed this in the women's class, the Maharal says about the Rambam, he says, we don't call Hashem Haseichel Baruch we call him Hakadosh Baruch The Rambam says, Hu Amadav, Hu Hu Hashem is the knowledge, Hashem is the knower. Hashem is the known. So the Maharal says, call him Haseichel Baruch He's the intellect, we don't call him the intellect, Hakadosh, which means transcendent, infinitely aloof. So the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, and Tanya, Peirik Beis, and the Shari Yechud reconciles the Ma'aral and the Rambam. He says the Rambam is talking post Simtsum, the Ma'aral is talking pre Simtsum. It's not for today's discussion. But the Alter Rebbe me- reconciles these two views. But the Ma'aral's point is, you don't call Hashem HaSeichel Baruch Hu. Seichel is not the beginning and the essence of reality. It's not infinite. It's a tremendous tool. It's, it structures reality, but it's not the essence of reality. And that's why in Kabbalah, Kesser is higher than Chachmah. That's the Karen. The Karen is the horn above the head. It's higher than the head. On one level, we said what's Karen earlier? We said Karen Schizinius. It's not the meat. That's why by Makabalib Kabbalah's doesn't it doesn't connect to the meat. It's not Mitsarov to the meat to make the Shia that you need. The Mishnah and Khulim Kufju and the Rambam and Tumas, Saichum Perak Dalat. On the other hand, we're not talking about the a deeper element of the Karen. It's higher than the head means. I go higher than what my brain can contain logically. What does this mean in life? In life, there are some things in life that are understandable. In other words, they're contained in my rational brain. I could structure them. Sometimes there's experiences in life that the only way to connect to them is not by using your analytical brain and trying to assimilate it and integrate it into your understanding. You have to be able to say, Svas lo yadati eshma, am I ready to surrender my soul to the mysterious... Infinity of divine love. Rabbi Aaron, you heard that? Am I ready? The moment I have to put everything in my structural logic, I'm detaching myself from the reality of life. Seichel is gewaldic. I'll say it again and again. Seychel is gewaldic. We don't, we're not a people who believe that intellect is is ridiculous and we love cults and we love blindness and we love things that are not rational, and we love superstition, that doesn't have to do with Judaism. Ki mi amchacham v'navoin, ha-goy ha-gadol ha-zoh, we're described as v'navoin. There was a Jewish leader, he once said, ah, amchacham v'navoin, ibder amchacham v'navoin, v'nargahata b'sala seichel. If this amchacham v'navoin would only have a little seichel, it wouldn't help. It, it, it would help. The Apostle says in Vaschanam ki hi chachmaschem v'binaschem le'enei kolahamim. The Torah is your Chachma and Bina before all the nations. It's, it's, it, it shows the nations your intelligence, your wisdom. Rashi says over there that if you if you keep the Torah, everybody will see you as wise people. And if not, Te Chashvu You'll be like a fool. You'll be considered fools. Seichel, Seichel is, is one of, the, one of the greatest gifts of life. But it's not the essence. It's not the infinite essence. It's a lavush. It's an accessory. It's a channel. It's a channel. It's an instrument. The deeper infinity of the soul, the chelaka kami mal, is deeper than sech. And I spoke about this in the first class, about therapy, when you know you hit the spot in people, in marriage, in your relationship with yourself, your relationship with Asha. The etzem is represented by the keren, the horn. And you know the difference between the brain and the horn? The brain is protected by many, many layers, including by the main layer, the skull, because it's very mushy. It's like jello. Two or three pounds of jello. It's very, very, very mushy. It's very vulnerable. And Khalila, we know, if there's brain damage, how how serious it can be. The karen, the horn, is on the open. It protrudes, and it's tough. It t- it's tough. It itself is a protection. As I said, it fights off predators. How's the fight off predators? Because it has a toy This is represented by the spiritual element of karen. Real inner perseverance and strength doesn't come from seichel. It comes from the etzem. It comes from your core. Because of there, there's an infinite connection to things that is not breakable. When my processing of life is only through logic, I understand things. So then, I'm also in a very vulnerable place. Because... I'm not in touch with my core dreams, with my core aspirations, with my core wills. The deepest aspirations, desires, and needs of a person are not logical. It's just who you are. It's what your soul yearns for. They may be dressed up in logic, but that's not their essence. And if you access them only through Seichel, you do not get in touch with them and you limit your ability to touch them and access them. And therefore, you limit your ability of healing because healing must come from going deeper than your facades and understanding what is hurting you on a level of ratzah. All healing comes from going deeper than seichal. I have to know what ratzah is. Now, it's not comfortable for men to deal with this. It's not comfortable. Because, and all the therapists will tell this to you, a boy is in yeshiva for 20 years or 15 years or 10 years. What do they teach him in yeshiva all day? To think, right? And everything is a pilpul. And you analyze and you dissect and it's amazing, it's beautiful. So you're trained to be analytical and you're trained that all reality can be dissected by your mind, And suddenly you're 30 years old. You're miserable. You're sitting in the therapist's office, right? He starts asking you questions. You're like oh, we didn't learn this in Tarus was this a question of Ta? You start asking, who are you what what are you? what do you feel? what's happening inside of you what is your essence and you start making pull It's not easy. It's very, very vulnerable. I have to really go go away from all this. You know, and 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 that's one of the purposes of marriage. Because your wife, if you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to have to open yourself up to the parts of you that are deeper than seichel. Because it's the only way you could connect to your spouse. If you're going to sit down with your wife and say, "Listen, only talk to me about things that are logical." Good luck. We'll see you in the office. Only you can only relate to things that are logical, and I'm the one who has to decide if it's logical too, for sure, right? You didn't begin a relationship. You didn't get relationship with yourself. You relationship with Again, is a lavush. I could learn and learn and learn and learn, but I'm still trapped in the facade of the Yavani. Of the Yavanim. Why? I'm not taifas the ta'ra secha. So therefore, you have the keren. The keren is above the head. It's the concept of surrendering my soul, of trusting the love. The Greek said everything is logic. And the Jew said everything is infinite love. Can I surrender my soul to the infinity of God's love? Can I trust it? Can I trust it? When I have to obsess with my seichel is because I don't trust. I want to control. I want everything in a box. I like things in a box. If it's in a box, I'm good. The problem is reality is not in a box. And as long as reality is in a box, I'm living in a delusion and when it starts coming out of the box, I fall apart. But I don't fall apart. My seichel falls apart. That's fine. Your seichel could fall apart. You're, you're not falling apart. But the problem is we feel when our sechel falls apart, we're falling apart. You're not falling apart. God is right here. God is not saying it's fine. Embrace the mystery, the infinity of love that I don't I don't have to understand. People think I have to understand. It comes to pain. Right? Explain it to me, explain it to me, explain it to me. Could I come to a place where I don't I don't I don't have to understand? I really don't. I could just be here without understanding. And you know what? In, the, in, in, in a sense, you'll understand much more. <laughs> what do I mean? You won't understand much more in terms of, of, of intellectual logic, but you'll be much more connected to the reality of it. That's the Keren. That's the ability to surrender the soul to a place that's deeper than what I have to control and assimilate in my logic because it limits my access to the infinity of reality. Logic sculptures and reduces reality to one dimension. Or many dimensions. And again, it's beautiful for what it is, but for what it is, not for what it's not. And to use seichel in a place that you have to go, it's like using your ears in order to appreciate art, or using your eyes in order to appreciate music. For music, you need your ears, and for art, you need your eyes. And for elakus, you need mesidis nefesh. Basil de Deherst. For music, you need your ears. For art, you need your eyes. And for elakus, you need misilis nefesh. You need to go out of yourself. You need to transcend yourself. You can't go with seichel. You're not going to be typhus God is not a mathematics. When you're learning mathematics, that's you use seichel. You're learning an analytical subject, you use seichel. Kol chush, mi m'chusheh. But you're dealing with a lakus, with infinity, with the core of reality. Seichel is not gonna get you there. It's, it's, it's a joke. You stay stuck, you remain cold. You can't celebrate life. Taka, a lot of intellectuals are very cold. They're very cold. They're very mitzumtzum. They're very scared. They're good in arguments, but they're not good in life. They don't know how to dance. You have to know how to dance. How do you, you don't dance? I once heard from the Rebbe on some chasteira. He says, with the with me the fist. You don't dance with your head; you dance with your feet. But if you're in your head, if you're in your head a whole day, how do you dance? Unless you make a headstand, then you could dance. If you make a headstand, that's the karen. That's what you need horns for? I once heard from the Rebbe on some chasteira. He said, "What's some chasteira? Listen to Avart. He said, "What's some chashtayda?" He said, a Sefer will tanzen. The Sefer wants to dance. The problem is a Sefer doesn't have feet. So how can a Sefer dance? So he said, Ayid yid, ver fis from the Sefer So the Sefer can tanzen. The Hesem Shalom. I A Sefer will tanzen. The Torah says, I want to dance. But I can't. I don't have feet. We can't just dance the cup. So a Jew says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become your feet. So he says, you go under the Sefer taita. you're the feet of the Sefer taita. the Sefer taita tans, then you're the feet. This is what the ketan represents. The Keren represents that which is deeper than the head. Now we'll understand the secret of David and Shleimah versus Shaul. What was the problem of Shaul? What was Shaul missing? This was the issue of Shaul. ha'tam David David and Shlemer were anointed with a horn. The horn represents strength. It represents endurance physically. The horn is very powerful. It doesn't break easily. It's a very, very strong and solid substance. So this represents that the Malchus is not so vulnerable to destruction. Why? Because the difference of Sheol and David was this difference. But Sheol, it says in Parashas Vayishlach, Sheol comes from Rechei So Kabbalah says that it's a remiss to Sheol HaMelech that he came from the broad river. You remember the Maimatoira told us by about the river. There's Gan Aden, there's the Gan, and then there's the rivers, the four rivers. The river represents Bina. The Maya on the wellspring represents Chachma, And Bina is that which expands the idea. You remember the mother and the mother? We spoke many times. There's Chachma and there's Binah. Shoal is Binah. Uhina Bina. The even though the my love of a person is a bar we're learning in the ma'amar <laughs> everything higher than seichel. So say, let's remember what's the maila of a person? He has seichel. Umayach shalat alalev, and it says in Tanya based on Zoyar, the mayach, a healthy mayach, rules the heart. Tanya Perikid Bez, a whole uh, discussion over there. Mayach shalat alalev. Mazel tov to all those who started to learn Tanya kislev, and you'll soon get to Perikid base. And you'll see, that's a person. In other words, the brain rules the heart. So what does that sound like? It sounds like the ultimate person is the brain that rules the heart. When we rules the heart, I have impulse control. Even when I have a temptation to something, I could put it in perspective. I'm a controlled person. I'm a disciplined person. Emes. Especially by Sheol who perfected and personified the perfection of Sheol. But with Sheol itself, you cannot get far. His Malchus did not endure. Because the Sheol cannot get to the place where there's no changes. Sheol ultimately... Is pliable. It doesn't touch the core. It doesn't touch the horn. It doesn't give you that taikiv, that inner resilience and strength that allows you to transcend the vicissitudes of life and endure through them. And therefore, shaul's malchus is ultimately temporary. In Seichel, there are changes. Yesterday, I thought this way. Today, I think this way. Yesterday, I had that philosophy. Today, I have that philosophy. Yesterday, I was a Democrat. Today, I'm a Republican. Yesterday, I was a Republican. Today, I'm a Democrat. Yesterday, I was right-wing. Today, I'm left-wing. I'm center. I have these ideas, these ideas. Seichel, by definition, is always growing and changing based on so many different realities in life. There's the Seichel of a child. There's the Seichel of an adult. There's the Seichel of a mature person. There's the Seichel of an elderly person. It's a tremendous tool, but by definition, intellect is... (coughs) trying to understand reality, but that understanding is always shifting and always adjusting. The ain't safe of a person, the infinity of a person, which doesn't change, ain't b'yishinuyim, it's your deepest, deepest core, it's your deepest reality, that's the Karen beyond seichel. Shoal's life was a life of seichel, shol mirechay and you see it by Amalek. What happened by Amalek? Shmuel Hanavi told him that Hashem wants him to wipe out Amalek, but what did Shoal say? Let me take the animals of Amalek to offer it as a carbon. He said, "It's a gavaldika thing. Take on Malik and bring in Tashem. What a small what a small when he meets him. You remember? You remember what he says after of Parsha Zocher? Toiv Shmoya Mizevach Lahakshiv La Hakshiv In simple English, the best it's a fulgan. Better to listen than to bring a good carbon. Shoal had this whole elaborate mahalach. What you have to do with a Malik. What was the problem? The problem is it was limited based to his own perspective and his own seichel. And this, this is what his malchus was missing. His leadership was missing this quality. David and Shloimeh, David and Schleima also went through their struggles. But there was a big difference. When Shmuel Hanavi asked Shoal, why didn't you do what Hashem... What happened? Shoal told Shmuel, I did everything that God wanted. And then he said, yeah, what about this? What about this? He said, they pressured me. Ultimately, I gave in to the pressure of the people. When Nasin Hanavi came to David and said, he told him the story with the sheep that was robbed away by the rich man who took away from the poor man. And he says, you're the man you took away by Sheva. And what, did, what was David's response? Two words. I sinned. Very different. Complete vulnerability. Complete humility. Complete Hanava. Complete Bittal. And you see it in Tehillim. The way David HaMelech speaks about himself. This is what Shmuel says. He says to show the eternity of the Jewish people. Hashem, who's called Netzach Yisrael, will not lie. He will not change his mind. He won't shift. When you say something is eternal, they represent eternity. Doesn't only mean it's going to last. For eternity. Even in the beginning, you can see it's eternal. Just like death. When does death begin? When you're born. The Rabbeinu Bechaye says, when does a, when does a person begin to die? When he's born. Lahavdil. When does a car begin to break down? The moment you buy it and start driving it. When does a computer begin to break down? The moment you open it the first time. Hatinik, Mishanayla, the child, when he's born, maschilis yabesh, he already begins to dry up. Why? Because energy is limited. It could be limited. And therefore, the moment I start using it, I start depleting the energy. It may take many years, but already it's being used up. Because you're dealing with a finite energy. There's a longevity of the copy machine. How long does a copy machine last? Let's say five years. The moment I open it and start using it, that's the moment it starts dying again. <laughs> because you start depleting its 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 power, so to speak. It's staying power. That's true. Kol nifset. Everything that was created, by definition, they call it the entropy the entropy principle. It begins to decompose, it begins to disintegrate. When? Not at the end, in the beginning. You don't see it in the beginning, but that's when it begins. It begins to decompose those things those created beings that don't decompose they don't die, they don't perish, in other words, they were given the gift of eternity you don't only see it at the end, you see it in the beginning in the beginning it's already a different type of malchus. The Balatanya speaks in Torah, tells us about the Gemara, says, The day that will be completely long, the day that will never end, says, In the beginning it's already a long day. A long day doesn't mean at the end it's a long day. In the beginning it's a long day. Eternity doesn't mean that you're going to live longer than others. Already in the beginning it's of a different quality, it's of a different nature. Because it's not something that gets depleted, your whole attitude is one of Nitzchias. What is this in a person's life? David and Shloymeh, uh, their malchus was a malchus of karen. They were anointed with the horn, which represents that which is beyond the head, which represents Mesidus Nefesh, which represents the etzem that is deeper than seichel. Shoals malchus came from the pach, from the jug of oil, which is much more vulnerable. What's the difference in a person's life? When my relationship with something is only a seichel, like an relationship, intellectual relationship, it's extremely vulnerable. Somebody asks a question, and it gets destroyed. Somebody answers it, and it gets solidified. Somebody asks another question, and it gets destroyed. My relationships with life has to come from a place that's deeper than Seichel. Seichel is a tool. Seichel is a cover. Seichel accesses. Seichel is a tremendous tool, but there's the etzim that's deeper than Seichel. This is what we call emuna. This is what we call mesidis nefesh. This is what we call the keren. Leadership as well. This could be a leadership that is Shoal's type of leadership and a leadership of David and, and, and Schleimer's leadership. The difference is a leadership that's an, only intellectual leadership, you're a vulnerable leader. And people pressure you and you change. David and Schleimer, their leadership came from a very deep place of inner wholesome confidence and invincibility. And then the pressures of the crowd don't change you because you know who you are and you know who you are in a very, very deep place. And that's that's the only type of leadership that can really, really last. So Shaul was a tremendous mind. He was a great soul, sanar. But ultimately, his malchus didn't have that power of Nitzchius. David and Shlaima, their malchus came from their deepest etzem, from their deepest core, and that's a place of invincibility and confidence because it's aligned with divine atzmius, and that 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 continues. That doesn't that doesn't die. It's it's you're living completely from within, and the feedback of the audience doesn't make or break the leader. It's not like you're changing because of this one, you're changing the peer pressure, the social conformity, you don't operate from that place. You operate from a place of alignment with with, with the divine, and then it's a whole different story. And that's the karen. So when the Gevanim told the Jews, Kisvu Lechem al keren Asher, Yisrael, we now go to the deeper level. Get rid of, get rid of al keren Asher. As we said before, only go to the Chitsoinius. You don't need the Pnimius of Hashem. Chelek Hashemameh. They did it. What is, what's the Jews' response? The Jews' response is, we're gonna take the Keren Hashayr to connect. Precisely the Canon that's what we need. Midheh Kenegid It's the Keren. It's the Etzem. It's the Mesidus Nefert. That's higher than Sechel. That's the power of David and Shloimeh. And that lasts. That doesn't, that will not get interrupted by various vicissitudes in life. And he says, V'yashlo hai You can add even more Alpi, piyamavor b'yaratayra. Inyin a keren shubkhin is binna. Ukmai keren ha yoivil shi yoivil u binna. Ume kalma kemere zeshaayech le dovrid shubkhin is samalchas. In yoivil he explains there that it says in Kabbalah that keren is associated with binna. With understanding. The keren ha yoivil. On yoivil they would blow with a shaifer. Just like him. Rosh Hashanah, every yoivil on yim kippah they would blow with a shaifer. And it's on Yovel is explained jubilee Yovel the time of liberation is bina. Mikol Mekem and as a shayech l'David shobchinas hamalchus, but David unlike Shaul is malchus, so it's a little strange. Sometimes we say Karen is bina, but David got the Karen and he's malchus. Behind so our pimashikas of our Rizal she dugmas bina. The Rizal explains it's brought in Zoyer Harekiya Parshas Bereishis as he says in thirty six that Pnimeyes HaMalchus is a reflection of Binah. What does this mean? David and Shloyme, who are anointed with the horns, David and Shloyme represent Malchus, Shol represents Bina. It's when the Malchus is infused With the first hay of Shem havayet is yud. Hay vav hay. Yud is chachma. Hay is bina. Vav are the middas. The last hay is malchus. When the first hay infuses the second hay, that's the karen. So it's not just bina, because soul is bina. It's when bina infuses malchus, like he says, the pnimiyus Malchus is from bina. What does this mean? It's kabbalistic terms. What does it mean? Bina infuses malchus. And that reason is because Bina on its own, Shoal on its own is missing something. Even though it's understanding, it's wisdom, but if it doesn't help a person get to a place of Malchus, Malchus means royalty, leadership, confidence, which is based on the absolute humility of the leader who is open to infinity beyond Seichel. Because that's the real leader. The real leader is the most humble, selfless person. Because what's a leader? A leader is, I'm not here for me. I'm here to serve the people. And that means the leader transcends his own personal agendas and he becomes a conduit for Hashem. That's the real Malchus. That's what Malchus really is. And that Malchus is forever. Because it's not about you and therefore you does not get stuck. What's, what would you say is the greatest gifts and qualities that a leader needs? And, and, and I, I think one of the biggest things is, is that he doesn't take himself seriously. It doesn't become about me. You insulted me, you disappointed me, you're frustrating me, you like me, you don't like me. It's an important discussion, but that's, I'm stuck in myself. The real leader is somebody who can take criticism, who can be humble, who can learn from mistakes, and who can realize that it's not about me, it's about my mission. I am a conduit. And that's Malchus. And that means the ability to go higher than my seichel and become a conduit for God. That's the role of a leader, and that's what David and Shlomo had. David and Shlomo had this nekudah of malchus. This is David and Shloyma. I love Nemar. Hu yish mino gslime yishma yishma wshallam bshaket etna yisaw biamov va'achva yishf slime alkesyava ubismana david Shloimeh, it says, was an exceptional person. Hashem says he's going to be a man of serenity. He's called Shloimeh from the word peace, perfection. There's going to be serenity during his time, shalom peace. Shloimeh sits comfortably on the throne of God, very successful king. It says in his days, the moon was wholesome, like the 15th day of the month. Nonetheless, it was David who created the preparation and created the foundation. For example, the Beis HaMikdush, it was all David. It says, David is the one who set out the whole planning of the Beis HaMikdush. Shlema implemented it. Because David represents Malchus itself. That's David. Shleimer represents Chachma in Malchus. We know that the spherus, like by spherusheimer seven times seven, each one is made up of the other one. So it's really a hundred, because you have ten spheres, and each one is made up of the other one. So Shleimer represents Chachma of Malchus. David represents Malchus itself. So David represents Malchus itself. Shleimer represents the Chachma aspect of Malchus. Not Chachma on its own. The Chachma aspect of Malchus chazal tell us in the ultimate of chachma is tshuva masim because chachma chachma is even above bina chachma represents bittel we spoke many times about chachma is the humility but chachma itself is made up of all the other spheres, it has a whole structure. So therefore, Chachma has other aspects of it as well. But Chachma is ultimately bitl, so Tachl Chachma masim tave. And Shleima was the Chachma aspect of Malchus. Davida amelech is Malchus itself. But we said it's Bina that infuses Malchus, and that's what the horn represents. In other words, you have Malchus, you have Kabbalah cell, you have Bitel that's devoid of understanding. And then you have Malchus that's infused with wisdom, but the wisdom is part of the Bitel. You have a person, there's a certain simplicity and innocence, a purity of faith that's like malchus itself. Malchus that's infused with and with bina is a malchus that's infused with with brilliance and wisdom. But the wisdom is a conduit for the bittle, and that's the uniqueness of the malchus of David and Shlomo. And that's the horn, the keren, the keren asher that allows you to connect to a place that's higher than your brain. <inaudible> <inaudible> ah, so when the Yvon and the Greeks came to the Jews and they said, write down on the horn of the axe that you don't have a chilek in a Yisrael. How do you respond to that? They can say, okay, let's fight you with paper. You gotta fight fire with fire. They had to bring out their own horns. The Yavanim offered them their horns. And they said, no, we're gonna bring out our own horns. They had to bring out the horn of holiness. The Mesiris Nefesh that goes higher than Seichel. The only way to combat the Karen Hashar that the Yavanim said, Eynlichem Chayli Beleka was, they needed Karen versus Karen. You remember when I started to say, what do horns do? The animals, the males, compete with each other. And the horns allow them to establish who's the boss. So they had to bring out the karen, spiritually, what is this? They had to bring out the karen of Kedusha. What's the karen of Kedusha? The karen of Kedusha is the strength of the commitment that comes from a place that's deeper than my limited reasoning. Not because I'm dumb, not because I'm blind, not because I don't believe in thinking. I think... And I want to use my wisdom, and I want to analyze and dissect. But I realize that my seichel is going to bring me to a certain place in life, and if I want to cross that threshold, my seichel will not be able to do the job anymore. I have to be able to surrender my soul to infinity, and allow myself to become a reflection of infinity. So seichel, again, and you can say this again, is absolutely stupendous but it can bring you to a certain place it can bring you to the doorway but you can't cross the threshold sorry you don't have the tools to be able to go to a deeper place you come to a beautiful place but you can't go deeper now you need to carry it now you have to go higher than your head you got to get out of your head you got to get out of your head you know how to do that you have to get out of your head. You have to get out of the brains. You have to get out of the horns. You have to get out of the complexities. You have to open yourself up. It's very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. We don't like being there. Especially in people who have good heads. They don't like being there. But it's very vulnerable. You have to surrender the brain. What does David Amalek say? <speaking in Hebrew> I am a bar, I'm ignorant, I know nothing, I'm a behemoth with you. The HaMelech. It's in Tehillim, I didn't make it up. Tehillim Ayin Gimel, or Ayin Dalit somewhere in that zip code. var You know what the Medrash says? It says, Pesi yamin l'chol A fool believes everything. A wise man understands things well. You know what it says in Medrash Rabbah? Listen to this. Pesi Yamin Lechol Who does it refer to? Ze? You know who it refers to? Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe? Moshe. Moshe the Rambam says is Mifchar Mine nushi He's the perfection of a human being. Talk about the Seichel of Moshe. Pesi Yamin Lechol Khaldavar. The pshat is, this is the Vart. Moshe's brain was beyond what we can ever imagine. Like, come Navika Moshe. The one who, the whole Torah comes through Moshe Rabbeinu. The first makabel from the Rabbainu is Moshe. You're not going to get a brain better than Moshe's. And a seichel, a seichel of Torah. But when you want to be taifus ein when you want to cross the threshold of finiteness and touch infinity, your seichel is going to keep you stuck. I live in my brain and I analyze with my brain, and I can touch Ain soif pesty i am al khaldov's emotion have been no much understood that when you want to touch the texture of real infinite reality vanivar valay the behemoth i get out of my brain that was the Kayach of David. David says unto him i am a worm he says unto him my soul is like an infant nursing from its mother. The infant in the bosom of its mother doesn't live in its brain. It lives in a world of trust. Trust. Can we live in a world of trust? Could we? As Melay you could live in a world of trust. If not, it's very hard. <laughs> Too many sharks out there. If you learn chassidus, then you have the keren. You acquire the horns, the ruchni is the horns from the balshemtiv, from the alter from Rebn. You have the horns, the kerenayim. Then you could, then you could trust. Then you could trust. You don't have to be cynical. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to be afraid. So the Jews had to take out the keren of kedusha to fight the keren of the yevonim. <speaking> Then they transcended, they nullified the ambition of the Yevonim to make us forget your Torah. And and this allowed them the victory that wasn't Al-Piseichel because they went to a place of Karen. So the victory was not rational. The weak triumphed over the strong and the few triumphed over the many. And that's why we finished In other words, it was beyond Seichel. Because it comes from La Ashkicham Teyra Secha Ula Vida Mechukei that the Jews went to a place of Teyra Secha Chukei Ritzay is higher than Sechal. So what happens? at then La Hoiday So La Hallel That's how we finish Alanism. The Ma'amah started with Alanism. What's Lashimcha Hagodol? Shimcha Hagodol Dike. Doesn't say La Hoiday Lashimcha. Shimcha Hagodol. Your great name. <laughs> <laughs> What's Shimcha HaGadol? It says in Pirkei de the way the shallah reads the text in his Svarim, before the world was created, there was only Hashem and His name. Hu Belvad. Echad Echad. Before creation, pre-creation, there's Hashem, and there's the name of Hashem. The name of Hashem is the light of Ein Soif, because a name represents the way you're perceived by others, and that's what light is. He says, that's called Shmoyah Gadol Shazau Inyana Atzmi. This is his own shame, the Giloy of the Etzem, the earth of the Etzem. That's what he, there's the name. The name is the way Hashem's energy is restricted. That's Seichel. That's Seichel. What's Shimcha Gadol? They went beyond. They went to the Eir Ha'atsam. The Achaloi Nivra'ilam. Pre-creation, pre-Sechel. Ha Yahuwah Shmoi They got to the Shmoi. That's the Nekudel Shimcha Gaddel. But it came. It's always there, but it came out in a revealed way on Hanukkah. This is what the pasuk says about the future when Mashiach comes and Yeshaya paid a The glory of Hashem will be revealed, and all flesh will see together that the mouth of Hashem speaks. Meaning the way Chizkidus teaches it, that in every single thing in the world you will see the er Ain ainsoif. You will see the infinity that's being manifested there. That's when the world is going to become one on Hanukkah. They had a foretaste to be able to touch the gadol, the etzem of creation, the etzem of the world, which is beyond the shame. It's the concept of shimcha HaGadol. This concludes the Maymer, at least one level of the Maimir. Now I'm going to take some questions. So we finished the She'er, but I'm going to take some questions just to announce that Be'ezir Hashem Monday morning, 7.30, we will also have a She'er and uh, let me go to the questions. So let's see the chat. Okay, one person writes, the way I understand the message is, honor the brain, honor the intellectual, but don't worship it. Perhaps, to connect to what we learned earlier, Torah Eir told us, we learned that the mitzvah doesn't need kavana because it itself is elikus. So too, we don't need the reason for the mitzvah for elikus. The person's tom is good, just like Havana, it's beneficial. But the mitzvah itself is elikos. Yes, it's very well conne- very good connection with this maimer, the maimer of and Er told us. We always say that you sh- that the mitzvahs are rational. Should we do them rational mitzvahs because they make sense? Or because God said to do it? What about the seven Noachide laws? The Gentiles are obligated to keep them. A lot of non-Jews by nature are kind people. They keep the laws because their nature. After all, not everybody, most people, are not murderers by nature. But they're doing it because of their nature, not because God said to do it. Yes, good point, and that's why the Rambam writes in Hilchas Melachim that the way to observe the shabbat mitzvahs is not just because I think it's the right thing or it's my nature or my mind says it, but because Hashem commanded me to do it. And there's also a practical reason for this, by the way, because whenever something is done only because I feel like doing it, there will be times that I will not feel like doing it. There'll be times that I'm stressed, there'll be times that I'm confused, there'll be times that I'm overwhelmed. We all know this, right? Even the best of people, the best of people, sometimes if I'm offered a position, I'm offered a... a, a I'm offered something that I can't refuse. It's just too hard to refuse. I'll break my principles. Who, who was it? This was a great line. Somebody once said, These are my principles in life. These are my principles and ethics in work. And if you don't like them, don't worry. I have other principles, right? So, so the fact is... <laughs> And a young, some Jewish comedian. So the fact is, that's why the Rambam says, you have to do it because Hashem said. Hashem said, no difference. You have the flu, you don't have the flu. You're tired, you're not tired, you're in a bad mood, you're not in a bad mood. Yeah? Somebody uh, drops a credit card, you see a millionaire, he drops a credit card in the store, drops a hundred dollars cash. You could say, I don't have money now, let me pick it up, he's not going to get hurt anyway, he's, mu- he's a multi-millionaire. So there's always loopholes, and also loopholes that come from personal bribes, meaning from my subjective, my subjectivity. I always can justify things and rationalize things. You want to reach a place where there's no changes, and that's the concept of Kabbalah. Modern science is today developing new theories based on quantum mechanics. That is not logical at all. Quantum mechanics is full of paradoxes. And uh, some people say that quantum physicists would say that this is logical for them. But it doesn't seem logical at all. I think that's exactly the point. The point is that the deeper we go into the reality of matter, we see paradoxes. We don't see clear logical structures. That exactly is the point. In other words, Seichel is a certain dimension of reality, but it's not the raw essence of reality. That's exactly the point. And quantum mechanics is revealing that at the core of reality, there's much more paradox than logic. In fact, paradox makes makes much more sense over there. Particles moving clockwise and counterclockwise simultaneously. Schrödinger's cat, the cat is dead and alive simultaneously. Light being both a particle and a wave and functioning as both simultaneously. Even though when our eye observes it, it collapses into one state. Because yes, we are used to the world of differentiations. But in the world of modern physics, paradoxes abound. And you have to become comfortable with paradoxes. And that's exactly the point. That when we... Seichel is a structure. It structures reality in a certain way and from a certain perspective. And we must, and, and we, and, and that, and that it, it serves an exceptional, exceptional function in our world. Without laws and structures, we could have not created anything that we created in terms of technology and the development and progress of human beings to the place that we are today in the year 5781. But when you go even deeper, you see that Seichel is just a certain way in which reality is accessed, based on the human brain. It's really fascinating stuff. And the correlation between all this and the ideas of Chassidus are astounding. Next. The way I understand it, is this true? There's a difference between all of creation and a human being. All of creation was created ex nihilo yesh ayin something from nothing. Man was created from dust that was already created before. Yesh yesh, something from something. Basically what we humans do all the time and can only do is make stuff from other stuff which are already made. In addition to that, all of creation was made through God's words. He spoke. This is true for the body. And everything in creation, even the soul of creation. But the human being, the animating force was made through Hashem's breath, not through His words. So man's body came from a lower source, pre-existing dust, but his soul comes from a higher source, Hashem's inner breath. We are, we are a, few, a fusion of more extremes than the rest of creation. This is discussed in Torah Eir by the Balatanya, Parshas Bereshis, where he has a mimer to understand how Adam was created in a way that's different than all of creation. You explained that the Greeks were bothered by your chukim and by your Torah, that our God is one and one only. The Greeks had many gods battling with each other, each with its own department. Surely their gods each had their own chukim, often at odds with the competition. If so, they should have not have been bothered by chukim that are super rational. The only difference between their chukim and ours is the number of deities issuing, issuing chukim. That's true. But ultimately, all their chukim, at least for the philosophers, had to go into the realm of philosophy. When you speak about Ratzin being the essence, is it your Ratzin or God's Ratzin? I was talking about the human being's Ratsin. At the deepest core, the human's Ratzin is aligned with the divine Ratzin. But there's also the Ratzin of the, the Nefer Hamish also has Ratzin. The New York Times article you mentioned about Hanukkah, was it written by a Jew? I think so. I think it was. You said in your class, in your first class, that a therapist told you, how does he know when he hit the spot, when the patient stops giving reasons, rationalizations, justifications, explanations. The layers of intellectual and logical structures that are wrapping, that are wrapped around his life, have been stripped and pure, Rutzen is exposed. Presumably then, once true Rutzen, the true hidden driving force is revealed, healing can begin. It can't begin with defensive logic, reasons, justifications, tirutsen. And the way I understood it is because you're not really, you don't even know what, what's inside of you. You don't know what's bothering you. You don't know where your pain is coming from. Your anger or disappointment is covering up what's really happening. You must get into your own deeper realities. This, I understand, mirrors Hashem because Hashem also has Ratzon that is beyond Seichel. His hidden Ratzon is behind all of the mitzvahs. And the core of His Ratzon we cannot grasp with our Seichel. I get that. He allows us to understand the surface part of the mitzvahs. But ultimately, all mitzvahs, even the rational ones, come from His Ratzon, even those that are understandable by our logic and by our Seichel. I do see a problem, though, when you're comparing Hashem's Ratzon to the therapist's patients, Hashem is all good. Even what appears to us as bad will be shown to be good. It shows that sometimes the good is covered by what appears to be bad. Right? But let's say you have a person whose Ritzayinus are evil, and the therapist digs and digs and digs, and the patient digs on his own. The rationalizations are removed and stripped away, and the core comes out. And when the core comes out, all you see is evil. I hate I hate, I want to murder. What does the therapist then do? His core human desire is evil and not innocent. And once the core rotson is revealed, what do you do? Excellent question. Excellent, excellent question. So, there's an expression in Kabbalah and Chesidus. It says in Tanya, Perik, Aleph, L'Qudah, Torah, Ein hagvuris nimtakos elebasharsham. Gvura becomes sweetened when you go back to the source. Meaning, if you have the courage to strip away all the layers and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, what's really, really bothering you, over there you will find that in the deepest places you won't find evil. In the shirish, the negativity will be sweetened because you'll see that it's really responding to your own pain and loneliness and insecurity. People who live in orbits of self-destructiveness and want to destroy others, never ever took the time, the energy, the patience, the willpower, the courage to ask themselves, who, I, who, I, who am I? I once read from, or read from Rabbi Jonathan Sacks, the former chief rabbi of Britain. He said that one of the greatest mistakes of anti-Semites is they're living a miserable life. And when they see problems in their society, instead of becoming introspective, and asking, how can I grow? What can I learn from this? Where did we go wrong? They project the problem onto somebody else and exonerate themselves. That's what tyrants do, despots do, dictators do. This is what these types of regimes do. There's never an element of really introspection. What's bothering you? What are your real ambitions? Even if I could just be honest and say, my real ambition is just I want to control the whole world. I want everybody under my control. Even that honest, vulnerable uh, um, declaration, I love to control everybody, I want to see everybody as subservient to me, which for some people was a big vision. The moment you can identify that and articulate it, and then start asking questions, what is it that you're looking for, you already open yourself up to see what you're really searching for. And when you go deeper and deeper and deeper, a person is created by al-Lakim, it's created in the image of God. So therefore, in the deepest depths of a person's layers, our ratzin, our ratzinus, are not evil. Even the nefesh Bahamas, its survival skills can become destructive. But if you go deeper and deeper, you're going to find alignment with wholesomeness. Are there exceptions? There are exceptions, perhaps. There's the concept of amalek. You know, you mentioned Hitler in one of the comments. But generally, this is, I think, a pretty uh, authentic principle when it comes to human growth. You mentioned different approaches in your mimer of how to do mitzvahs. Can I clarify something? Perhaps we see here three hierarchical approaches. Number one, we follow those mitzvahs that are susceptible to logic, and we only do those. Anything beyond seichel, I don't believe, I don't do it. I can climb the ladder, so far I will not go further. Another approach is, no, I understand that my intellect is limited, I believe and I do those mitzvahs, even if they're not, entertained and explained by my logic yes i like logic but i also realize that honest people understand that there are things that i will don't understand and there are things beyond me and therefore i'm ready to accept them on pure faith and set aside my need for logical understanding and do them as well that's a second level a higher level and then there's a third level we realize that all mitzvahs and indeed everything comes from rotson And it could be subdivided into two categories. Those things that come later into Seichel and those things that don't. But everything ultimately comes from Rotson and therefore your not understanding of it is as authentic as your understanding of it. In fact, if you do it without understanding, you may be reaching a deeper truth. Like the child who understands that he has to obey his parents because it's the parent's will, whether or not the order is understandable to the child. Notice... Some understand more, some understand less, but the point is that it's not about understanding, it's about his will. And maybe the Jew who does the mitzvah, just because it's Rats and hashem, in a way is touching the more authentic part of the mitzvah than the Jew who understands all of it, because he's not stuck in the garbs that cover it up. Couldn't I add also a fourth approach? Below number one, those who will only do the logical mitzvahs they agree with, and not the mitzvahs, even though logical they don't agree with. Even more, They will do sins like the Jews who reverse their bris to participate in Greek sports. This category doesn't even make it into the Mimer and certainly did not bother the Greeks. In other words, even logical mitzvahs I won't do because it has to be my mood and my logic at the time. I think you said it very well. I agree with this. What's the difference between a parent saying to a child, I'm the parent and I said so in response to the child asking why? and super-rational mitzvahs. Both are the unexplained and perhaps unexplainable rotson of the parent and Hashem. Well, I think the difference is very obvious. The parent hopefully has a good reason of doing it. It's just the child may not understand why it's not good to cross when a car is coming or why you shouldn't play with a knife. So we have to introduce those components. And that the Greeks can relate to. That Those chuk the Greeks can relate to because they have a reason. It's just you don't understand the reason. So I have to take away the knife. You're going to cry. Okay, you'll get older. You'll understand. That the Greeks have no problem with. They have a problem with that something is some be- higher than seichel. We Jews should not be limited to the seichel part of mitzvahs. But ironically, let's face it, it was the logical proofs of the veracity of Torah, the kuzari and other proofs that led us to Yiddishkeit. That's why we became bali Tshuva. So the idea here is, I think, that after accepting the veracity, the authenticity of Torah, by logical proofs, eventually you come to realize that logic is insufficient and incomplete. Chassidus especially shows this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that Chassidus is not just about Seichel. I think you're 100% right. This is a classic example where Seichel is a tool to get you into the room. But it is a certain door that it can take you towards, but if you want to pass that threshold, I once asked Reberish Horowitz, the oldest son of the Spinker Rebbe, Reb a philosophical question one time about why there's so much war in the world or something along those lines. He chuckled and he said, Aaron, I have told you before and I'll tell you again. Go back to the foundation that all the great can go to. It says in Ashrei. To Hashem's greatness, there's no investigation. We can't understand anything because we're fine and Hashem is infinite. Remember what the great tzaddikim rely on, that we were given a Torah, we have mitzvahs to do, and when you get that down really good, then you will have free time to think about these other things. The Vart has been very good, reassuring and supportive for me. I like it very much. It seems like a real, simple answer, yet so powerful. How does this fit in with what we are learning in this Mimer? I think that what he was saying is, there are questions in life, there are things we don't understand. The finite brain will not grasp infinity. And that's why we have to be able to open ourselves up to infinity, to the mystery of infinity, which is love. And God says, this is what I want from you. I want you to learn Torah and observe mitzvahs. And this is basically, I think, what he was sharing with you. It can be appreciated, I think, on many, many different levels. You know, there's the Muna Pshuta of the simple Jew who's just connected to the etzen. There's the Muna that comes even after Seichel, you know, it could be the most brilliant person in the world, like Moshe Rabbeinu, but he goes to the place of Amuna beyond that. But they both connect in a very real way. The Greeks could tolerate super-rational mitzvahs, but not chukei ritzaynecha, that it's God, God's will. But they had their own, they had their God's. So it's basically quantity of deities. No, but their deities were carved in their own image. And we say that we are in the image of God. Are you saying at the end of the day logic doesn't matter regardless of the fact that logic and analysis is so much stressed and appreciated in Judaism? I think logic doesn't matter. I think logic is vital. I think logic is essential. In fact, when I'm learning Torah Shabbal Peh, I have to understand it with my logic. If not, I don't fulfill the mitzvah of learning Torah. But I think we also have to understand the limits of logic. I'm not discounting logic, but I think that the Rebbe might be saying that the true connection to God relies less on seichel and logical proof than it does on the internal awareness that resides deep within the person. There are many Jews today who are just like the Greeks, they also dismiss any part of Judaism that they don't understand. And they are probably a majority of Jews. Torah Jews are a very small minority. By pure demographics, the Torah Jews will become the majority. There was a Jewish professor at Brown University who wrote about 50 books on Judaism, a real scholar, whose scholarship was accurate, though he was not a Shemr Shabbos. He was disappointed when he was shunned by the religious world. Listen, every single Jew has a core of a muna inside of him. But yes, the point of this mind is that I could be a Jew and I could be a victim of the Greeks' conception of life. Not only that, I could be a Jew who learns Torah and observes mitzvahs, and I'm still a victim of the concept of the Yavanim. And that's why their objective was not to take away Torah and mitzvahs, it was, Okay, I think I covered most of the questions, if not all. I wish everybody a beautiful day. And a happy Hanukkah to all of you.